turning to John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. So if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the pew. I didn't check the page number, but John is uh, in the first part of the New Testament. So usually New Testament's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, and you can find Matthew, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're looking for that. So, But I'm sure you guys are old, uh, are, are good at finding things in the Bible, so... We have been going through uh, a series, and uh, we don't do this very often. Typically, I will go through a book of the Bible, but we've been going through a series called Who's Your One? And you probably are mostly familiar with it by now, although some of you may have missed a few sermons. Those are always available on the internet, by the way, if you want to go back and, and check on some of those. But the topic Who's Your One really has to do with being very intentional this year about identifying at least one person, one person whom we can pray for, whom you know, who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, and you can be intentional about getting to know them, sharing um, the gospel with them, praying for them in an effort for them to come to know Jesus Christ because we love people, right? <laughs> And that's what this is motivated. It's not motivated by trying to build the church or, you know, packing the pews or anything it's like that. It's just the fact that we love people. We want the best for them. And we have experienced something unique in having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We have found a peace. We found a uh, tranquility, like I spoke of earlier in our prayer time, that you just don't find in the world. The world only brings us uh, challenges and challenges aren't bad, but uh, often brings us uh, unrest and a lack of contentment. And all of those things are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I fully believe that Jesus is enough for me. As long as I have Jesus, I can do without food, I can do without water, I could maybe die from it, but I still have Jesus in the life to come. And so we want others to experience that as well. So this will be the last sermon. This will be the fifth one in the series that we've been going through. But we're not going to forget about it, right? We'll, you know, during the year, we'll come back to it. We'll talk about it. We'll give reports. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have people say, my one came to church or my one received Christ as Lord and Savior. And we'll rejoice together in that as well. But this will be the last sermon. And it's entitled, Each One, Reach One. And I want to just review just a little bit uh, of what we've already talked about. The very first sermon, we talked about Jesus saying to his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Of course, the first disciples whom he called, Andrew and, and uh, Peter, John and James, were fishermen. And so he said, instead of doing what you're going to be doing now, instead of your vocation, you're going to be fishing for men. You're going to be sharing the gospel and bringing them to me so that they can worship me and experience a relationship with me. And in that sermon series, we found out that when God and Jesus call someone to follow him, and I will make you fishers of men, he doesn't necessarily choose the best person, right? He chooses the willing. We don't have to think of ourselves as some great evangelist but we are just simple vessels whom God can use if we but surrender to him. We have to remember that he chose us, not we him. Our primary calling 
as disciples of Jesus Christ is to be with him, have a relationship with him, and spend time with him in his word, which we talked about in Sunday school. Uh, and so to follow him, there is a cost to following Jesus, right? <laughs> now, let me make this perfectly clear. Salvation is free. Jesus paid the, the penalty. He paid the debt for everything that we need for us to be saved. However, to follow Jesus, there is a commitment. There is a surrendering that we have to leave all behind. And then Jesus, once he knows that we are surrendered, he commands us to spiritually reproduce. And by spiritually reproduce, I just mean making other disciples. He says to us in, in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to each of, each of us individually go and make disciples. And the very last statement I made in that first sermon is that what, you know, I asked the question, well, what method are we to use to reach the world for Christ? And the answer is we are the method. <laughs> we follow Jesus. We learn how he acts and what he does. And then we find someone and we teach them that same thing. And so we are the method. And so we also learned that we have to, in order to do this, we have to be on mission. We have to be very intentional. And we studied about the men who had the paralytic and they wanted to get him to Jesus. And yet they couldn't make their way through the crowds. And so they did something very unique. They took him up on the roof. And as, say, say you know, Jesus is speaking in this room, all of a sudden we start to see panels falling down and see insulation coming down. And it's these people lowering this paralytic down to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. And he did heal him. But they had to be very intentional about that. They couldn't let obstacles get in their way. They had to make a way to get their one person to Jesus Christ. And they got more than they bargained for. The paralytic was healed. They were also forgiven of their sins. And this shows us the importance of each Christian as an individual. The importance of each of us committing to be an intentional witness and going and telling others about Christ. And, and one thing that was probably hard for all of us to take in that sermon is that we need to recognize and repent of our excuses, <laughs> right? We can come up with all kinds of excuses, right? Uh, we're going to have evangelism training on Thursday nights. Whoop! Got something planned on Thursday night. Don't have to go to evangelism training. Sometimes it feels that way, you know. And I've been that way too. You know, it's, it's difficult sometimes to put yourself out in front and make yourself a target for someone who doesn't believe exactly like you or who might reject you. But we need to recognize and repent of those excuses. And then last week, we probably one of the harder uh, sermons in this sermon for us to hear is that hell is a real place. We love people and we want them to experience a relationship with Christ, but we also want them to avoid hell, which is the place where all of us are headed unless something or someone intervenes in our life. And that person, you know, for me a lot was my grandmother who used to share the gospel with me. She intervened. And we even made, you know, my cousins, we were all about the same age. We go over to her house 
and she'd tell us about Jesus and we'd kind of laugh and snicker a little bit and it was kind of funny to us and you know uh, but I look back on that now and I think thank you for my grandmother who was willing to look you know to look funny in front of the whole family most of us were not believers at that time it was only her uh, because she believed that Jesus was worth it and hell was a place to be avoided it's a real place folks it's a forever place it's a place of isolation it's a place of fear place of separation from God it's a place of pain and torment and hell is conscious eternal punishment and so we don't want anyone to go there and we should be able to go to any extent to make sure that people do not go there even if it means that each one of us can reach one you know many times i think we believe that evangelism has to be like billy graham used to do you know he would fill a stadium preach the gospel and many many would come you'd see that anyone everyone's seen that right seeing the stadiums full and you see people heading down wanting to receive christ as their lord and savior and that that is a wonderful event i'm not putting that down at all but billy graham himself understood that unless these people were followed up and trained to be disciples it was going to be a short-lived success and so he asked a, a guy by the name of dawson trotman who was the founder of the Navigators, the college ministry that I was involved in. And he said, Dawson, we need to follow up with all these people. And ever since then, as far as I know, Billy Graham has always had some kind of a follow-up program, some kind of a Bible study, some kind of a, uh, information that they would give. You can go to this church and get followed up and learn more about Christ. And, uh, and, but we have the idea that it has to be like Billy Graham and Dawson Trotman says, no, it can be, it can be one person teaching another person. And if that one person who becomes a disciple is faithful to disciple others as well, there's going to be a lot more people than what a stadium could fill. That's why this plan is so unique. It multiplies rather than adds additionally. And so that's a big, long introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. Each one can reach one. Each Christian here today can reach a person, a lost person for Christ. We can't make them believe, right? <laughs> we can't make them believe, but we can be very bold. We can be very persuasive, and we can allow the Holy Spirit to do their work. We can give them the message and then the, let the Holy Spirit do his work. And we've been told by Jesus the fields are white for harvest, right? You know, I, he said that 2,000 years ago. I still believe it's true. Even though we're in the dead of winter, maybe our, maybe our idea is like, you know, like the harvest is like this. It's not. It's white for harvest. He says the problem is to pray that there would be labors to go out and get, and get that harvest. And so the labors are who? us all right so we need to be praying for ourselves teaching ourselves about harvesting this field and how we can do that so we'll talk a little bit about that today as we talk about andrew so i know you've turned to your scripture by now so scripture is john 1 40 to 42 let's go ahead and stand for these just 
three verses, three short verses, as we learn about Andrew today. One of the two who heard John speak, this is John the Baptist, actually, uh, that, is, that they heard speak, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray over this. Father, we uh, thank you for this scripture today. It's a short scripture, and we can see everything that's in this probably very easily. But we want to learn from it. We want to learn from the example of Andrew, how we can better be persons who will be those who have the ability and the compassion to reach one person for Christ this year. And so we pray that you would teach us about Andrew, how we can be more like him, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the title of this is Each One Can Reach One, Just Like Andrew. That's what Andrew did. He worried about one person at a time. He was not a person to be worried about the crowds, but he saw the value of the individual. Well, who was Andrew? Well, he was one of the disciples. He was obviously one of the first who were chosen. And here we probably see the first two who were, who were chosen. This is speaking uh, about John the Baptist speaking, but we find out from other scriptures that the two disciples that were listening to him were probably John the Apostle, the disciple, and also Andrew. Andrew happened to be Peter's brother. He was one of the least known of the disciples. He wasn't really considered part of the inner circle. And if, if you look, a, look up at the makeup of the disciples, you'll see that there is a pattern there. Jesus didn't just haphazardly pick 12 people, but he had 12 people whom he had called to himself. And then in the scriptures, we see that there was an inner group that he spent most of his time with. That was John, James, and Peter. They got to see miracles that the others did not get to see. He had a closer relationship with them. And then finally, there was one disciple whom it's, it's said of that Jesus loved. And of course, he loved all the disciples but he had a especially close relationship with John, the apostle. And so we see that Andrew was not part of this inner group. He was almost always in the background. He was often been referred to by commentators as the inviter. He was the bringer. He was the introducer. And so he was not worried so much about the big crowds but he was really good at inviting people to their times together with Jesus. He would bring his brother Peter along with him to meet Jesus or an introducer. And I, I love Andrew for that because I think I can do that. <laughs> you know, maybe not all of you could get up here or want to preach. And, uh, but all of us can invite someone to an event, to a a pizza party or a bowling party or to church. And that's what Andrew was. He excelled at it. He had a zeal for doing this. And if you think about it, what, what would have happened if Andrew had not invited people? What if he had, for instance, not invited Peter? Well, Peter went on to become a believer, right? 
and preached at Pentecost and thousands were saved. But it goes back to the one who is faithful to invite Peter to come and see Jesus. And so you, you can see that none of us are more important than the other, right? Just because I'm standing up here doesn't make me more important. It could be you who invite someone to a church service, they hear the gospel, and they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and then they go on and share with many people, and they come, they come to know Christ. So if he had not shared the gospel, the good news of, of the Messiah with Peter, Peter might never have been saved, no Pentecost sermon. Uh, the New Testament would have been uh, minus two books in the New Testament, which Peter wrote. And so Andrew's in the background, but he had this zeal for introducing others for Christ. And he, I think, is our example today. That's, he's going to be the example for most of us. Now, Paul, remember Paul? <laughs> remember the bold Paul, the one who seems like he has no fear? He's to be an example for us, too. He says specifically, you know, be an example of me as I am an example of you to Christ. So he is also an example. We should have faith. We should have boldness. We should speak when God gives us the opportunity to speak. But we can also be an inviter, a bringer, or an introducer. And so Andrew, if you're filling out your little handout there, knew the value of individual people. He knew that uh, sharing the gospel, especially the way God designed things, sharing the gospel with someone who becomes a disciple is not a dead end. Should never be a dead end. You share the gospel with someone, they say, well, I received the gospel. You know, I'm a Christian now. Well, are they a Christian? Are they true to the message and the commission that Christ has given us to share that with someone else? They should want to go on and share that with someone else. But Andrew knew the value of individual people, and so he cared for the single soul and brought the individual to Jesus. He did that with his brother Peter. He brought a boy one time to lunch to Jesus because he had fish, <laughs> and uh, the rest of the people did not have fish. Andrew has been referred to as the first home missionary because of the Jewish people he brought to Jesus. But he didn't stop with the Jews. He also has been known as the first foreign missionary because of the Greeks he brought to Jesus as well. And so he wasn't someone who saw different classes of people and only reached out to certain classes, but he wanted to reach all people. He got along with just about everyone, it seemed like. Most people do not come to Christ as an immediate response to a sermon they hear in a crowded setting. Did you know that? We think church like this or bigger churches or stadiums full, we think that's where all of the new Christians come from. But they really, they come to Christ because of the influence of an individual, someone inviting them to church, someone inviting them to a church event. Andrew brought one, Peter. Peter brought thousands. All the fruit of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. And this is not only true in the Bible, but it's true in practice as well. I'm going to read something. It may take a few minutes, but bear with me. 
about Edward Kimball. Few have ever heard of Edward Kimball. Anyone heard of Edward Kimball? Sounds like it's a familiar name, but I can't say I really know who it is. But he was a Sunday school teacher who led D.L. Moody to Christ. So way up in Chicago, there's Moody Bible Institute. That was founded by D.L. Moody, who himself led many people to Christ. Edward Kimball went to a Boston shoe store where the 18-year-old D.L. Moody was working, cornered him in the stockroom, and introduced him to Christ. Don't you like that word, cornered? <laughs> you don't have to corner anybody, right? But he did. Uh, it goes on, it says, Kimball was anything but bold. Sounds pretty bold to me, but it says that he was a timid, soft-spoken man. He went to that shoe store frightening, frightened and trembling and unaware of whether he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude and obviously illiterate, and Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class. Moody, Moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the Bible. Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton Shoe Store, when I was nearly there, I began to, began to wonder whether I ought to go just join them during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy, that when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was, and when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then when I found it, I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Kimball found Moody in the stock room and spoke with him with limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love. That was all. He admitted it was a weak appeal, but Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. Tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody, left, Moody led C.T. Studd, the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman, who became a well-known evangelist to Christ. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands for ministry. It all began when one was faithful to introduce another to Christ. I don't know if you got that one part of it, but he said that his testimony was a very weak appeal, but the Holy Spirit was there, right? Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? I remember in my training one time years and years ago, even before I went to seminary or became a pastor, I went through some training called Evangelism Explosion. And uh, I was doing it with another person. And uh, I had studied the Bible. I'd shared my faith many times before, had other types of illustrations, sharing the gospel that I knew. So it, became, it was relatively easy for me to learn this and to do it pretty well. The other guy was uh, a farmer. Nothing wrong with a farmer, but no religious education of any kind. And uh, he learned it, but could not do it quite as well as I could. So we go out our first time to actually share the gospel, and we have our instructor with us. And uh, Gene was the guy's name who was learning alongside me and uh, presented the gospel. And, and it was kind of like, you know, what we read about, D, about Kimball. 
uh, he did it, but it was, you know, kind of, he was kind of quaking a little bit and unsure of himself. But April, I remember the girl April received Christ as her Lord and Savior. And it's not about our presentation. Of course, we want to present as well as we can, but it's about following the Holy Spirit, listening to the person. It's, all, it's not all about preaching at them, right? But listening to them, what's going on in their life. How can Christ help them in their life? And so I always remember that, and I think, I think it's exactly true. It's uh, each one can reach one. Regardless of our spiritual gifts, you may say, I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share Christ, right? We're all supposed to share Christ. But he, he saw the value of the individual person, uh, as, as did Kimball when he went after D.L. Moody. Andrew also, he saw the value of seemingly insignificant gifts. And there really are no insignificant gifts in the kingdom of God, right? So we know the story of the widow who gave two mites, and Jesus said that her heart was greater than anyone else who had given much, much more money. Andrew was like that. He saw the value in some fishes and some loaves. There was about 5,000 people who need to be fed. Where was the food going to come from? Philip the disciple was not sure where they were going to get the food. But Andrew finds a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. Seemingly insignificant gifts concerning 5,000 people who needed to eat. But not, it's not insignificant with Jesus, right? <laughs> Just like our offering today, I always try to pray for our offering. Whatever it is that God multiply it. And I don't know exactly what I mean by that. I don't literally believe that God is going to make $5 into $10. But he can find unique ways for us to use that money to the, its fullest maximum intent. And, uh, and that's what I mean. And I think that's what Andrew saw. He saw the value of ins seemingly insignificant ev events. God's ability to use a gift in no way hindered or enhanced by the size of the gift. It is sacrificial faithfulness of the giver, not the size of the gift. That is a true measure of the gift's significance. It's not the greatest of the gift that count, greatness of the gift that counts, but rather the greatness of the God to whom it is given. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 illustrates the way God works. He takes the sacrificial and often, often seemingly insignificant gifts of people who give faithfully and multiplies them to accomplish monumental things. And I think, we, I think if we were to stop, we would see that in this church all the time. Not just monetary gifts, we're not just talking about that, but an encouraging word here and there. One encouraging word, maybe the person's personality is not changed but if you encourage people often enough their demeanor can begin to change and they can become more hopeful and more encouraged those kind of things are the things that are important so Andrew saw the value of seemingly insignificant gifts and then number three on your handout there 
Andrew, he understood the value of behind-the-scenes service. Behind-the-scenes service. I'm always up here at front. A lot of times you guys are not up front, but you're doing everything that goes on behind the scenes. I have been very fortunate in my life. Whatever career I have been in, whether it's working in the oil field, whether it's working at Snap-on, whether it's working for the city of Mount Carmel, to be surrounded by good people. Have you ever been surrounded by good people? And it makes you look good? <laughs> you know, that is why I have succeeded in past job efforts is because I have a lot of people working behind the scenes making me look good. And that's true about this church as well. You make our church look good by the behind the scenes events that you do. And Andrew is a picture of all those who labor quietly in humble places. Ephesians 6.6 6 says that it's not by the way of eye service as people pleasers that we should do things, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Andrew never, as far as we know, preached to multitudes or founded any churches. He didn't mind being hidden as long as the work was being done. He was a leader with a servant's heart. And I think that's where a lot of you maybe feel most comfortable fitting in. And that's okay. That's good. Behind the scenes, doing the work. But it also includes the boldness to go out and share our faith with Christ. So we don't know too much about Andrew. There's not a lot other in the Bible from him. But tradition tells us that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia. And this is just tradition. It's not in the Bible. So, and possibly Scotland. And ultimately he was crucified according to tradition and Nicaea, which is in the southern part of Greece near Athens. So it looks, sounds like he made his way around the world, right? If he went to Russia and uh, Greece, he, he made quite a journey. Uh, one account says that he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that it infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Jesus Christ and she refused. So the governor had Andrew crucified. He was lashed to the cross instead of nailed in order to prolong his suffering. Tradition says that it was an X-shaped cross. Most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days exhorting passerby to turn to Christ for salvation. Imagine that. That's a person who's intentional, right? That's a person who has made up his mind he's going to share Christ at any cost. And so I close with just this verse from 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. Listen to this. Who did God choose to entrust this gospel with. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We are those weak vessels that God has chosen to use that he might be glorified, not us. <laughs> so we get the joy, he gets the glory, and that's the way that it works. And so we need to follow Jesus. We need to be intentional about our mission. 
We need to realize that we are essential. We are the plan that God has chosen. He's not chosen to do it through angels or any other created being. He has chosen that we might reach the nations for Christ through us. We need to realize that he, hell is a real place that we want to keep everyone that we can from going there. And we need to remember that each one can reach one. So if you have your handout, our response time today, or this bookmark, is there should be a place there at the bottom of your uh, handout or on here as well where you can fill in the name that you have either selected or are going to select. And this is for everyone. It can be for all ages. So we have teenagers, pre-teenagers that can fill these out as well. But as I pray, you look down at your card and prayerfully fill out who you believe God is asking you to put in that slot. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for um, this mission that you have given us. So, so many people go through life without any kind of purpose at all except to grab all the gusto they can while they can. And there's more to life than that. First of all, we continue even after we die. And so we want what will make us happy 1,000 years from now. And that's this mission which you have given us, to reach a lost world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for this, that we have a purpose. And it's a purpose that will reap benefits throughout all eternity. Father, we love our family. We love our friends. We don't want to see them to suffer for their sin. But we want to see them come to know Jesus Christ and for that sin to be blotted out and that they be made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, as we pray now, give us the name of the person that you want us to focus on this year. And help us to be faithful to get to know them, to call them with encouragement, to meet their physical need if that's possible or if they need that, and finally, to share Christ with them and believing in you for the results. And so we thank you for this time. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we're thankful that you have provided us a harvest, and we are looking forward to the harvest that we will reap this year. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.